Jon Snow, Gandalf, Dr. Drake Ramore, Kenny, and Real Madrid. What do all these things have in common? Just when you think they're gone, they're back. You should have cut the head off. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friend... Tommy, welcome to episode 62, season 2 of the Anglo-Italian pod. What an introduction. I love that we managed to put the Lord of the Rings and South Park in the same quote. That's fucking incredible. Uh, guys, before we start the episode, remember to follow us on Instagram at Anglo-Italian pod, on Twitter at Italian Anglopod, and to give a cheeky little follow to our sponsor, Sports Club Maps. I never say it, but since you're at it, go on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, like our videos, comment that we are awesome, and uh, you can go to bed happy. Rory, how are you doing today? Even just send us abuse. Comment to comments, right? We just need that traffic, guys. Just Hell nothing, yeah. nothing, you know, nothing about, I don't know. Let's just leave it there. Tommy, I am very, very good. I'm good. It feels good to be recording. Fantastic week in the Champions League. Thrilling. And a pretty exciting weekend ahead uh, in the Premier League in Serie A. So, yeah, excited to talk about it. And we're getting to the end of the school year. I can see the light at the end of the to- uh, the end of the tunnel. I was going to say at the end of the Tommy. Um, I was talking to some teachers at my school today, and they were actually like, you know, well, we finished on the 8th of June. I was like, yeah. oh, oh, my God, that's so close. Yeah, except that then you get to the tunnel, and what you thought was light is a fucking summer camp. So <laughs> Very know, true. With a lot of shouting kids. But, Very yeah, true. I know what you mean. I'm doing great as well. The weather in Milan is just awful, but very romantic at the same time. It's raining cats and dogs for the first time in I don't know how many months. Mm -hmm. I did take a little nap when I was done with work today, and there is nothing like an afternoon nap with the rain tapping on your windows. Oh, my God. I was, yeah, I was late. <laughs> for the yeah, for Tommy the was definitely late for the record. Uh, a little peek you know, behind the curtain. It's those afternoon you know naps. You you can wake up very easily in the morning, right? It's just like yeah. you wake yeah, up, yeah, yeah. but in the afternoon you just get into that weird days mm-hmm. and the, the bad kind of like pulls you in. Great feeling. It's all right, Tommy. It's fine. I'm over it. I'm over it. It's fine. <laughs> um, but I also the, the the sound of rain on a window. I have kind of asked at times Alexa just to play that noise. I think it's just the most peaceful thing in the world. I absolutely love it. Um, and yeah, waking up from a nap in the afternoon feels like you've been sleeping for ten years, even if it's just been like you know half an hour. Is, is Alexa the name of your girlfriend? No. Yeah, yeah, she's a she's a beatboxer. She's really really good. She's like the guy from Police Academy. She can just replicate any sound. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Sweet, Rory. What have we got in our episode today? Uh, today we're going to be talking Champions League action, a, a boring then thriller at the Bernabeu, um, and then an absolutely batshit mental uh, game over in Spain. A little bit of chat about, I don't know, football in general, and then yeah. we'll be having our interview with this week's guest author, Stuart Quigley, who's written a book about the Premier League the people and the clubs that have made the history. I'm pretty excited about it. Should we go? Very very interesting interview. And then at the end, of course, we're going to preview this weekend across Serie A and the Premier League. I am believing in a slip by AC Milan, but we will see. We will see. We'll talk about it in a second. I believe it's time to jump on our blimp and take care of the Euro view. 
It's Euro review time, and as always, we are recording quite late on a Thursday, but not quite late enough for the kickoffs. Although they're only 10 minutes away this evening, we do, of course, have the semi finals in the Europa League as Frankfurt host West Ham and trying to hold on to a 2 1 lead, and Rangers host RB Leipzig as they try to overturn a 1 0 loss. In Germany, in the Conference League, we have Marseille taking on Feyenoord. That one was an absolute thriller, 3-2 in the first leg. And we've got Mourinho taking on Brendan Rodgers as Roma take on Leicester. All pretty exciting games. You will know how it went, guys. Tommy, let's get some very, very quick predictions. What are the finals going to be? I want West Ham to pull something incredible off Mm -hmm. over in Germany. So I want to say that West Ham do go to the final. And then I think that Leipzig are going to see it through. This is a team that has been up there doing great things for quite some time. And I believe this might as well be the year for them to achieve something as big as a European trophy. Also... yeah, but funnily enough, until we mentioned them and then they lost 3-1 at the weekend. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very true, very true. But also another thing, Christopher Kunku, I know you're a customary listener of the pod. Whenever you want to come to Inter Milan, I've been keeping my eyes on you since the beginning of last season. And I need an Arsenal man. I will fight you for him. I will we will fight see. You. In the Conference League, we've got Marseille Feyenoord. Frankfurt, West Ham, and Rangers, Leipzig. Let's make fools of ourselves. Let's do it. What are your predictions? Oh, what are my predictions? Do you think he's going to the final of the Um, Europa? Yeah, I'm going to say West Ham, Leipzig. I think you're right there. I think it's hard to disagree with that one. I'm going to say in the Conference League, Roma versus Marseille. Well, Marseille, after seeing the goal that they conceded right from the kickoff, I'm just like, these guys don't don't probably deserve to be <laughs> all the way to the final. But the pictures of and the videos of the atmosphere, both in Marseille and Roma, looks absolutely insane. The Stadio Olimpico is packed. <sighs> I think this is the time that Roma fans can finally be happy about supporting their club. I hope this doesn't age terribly as it often does with our predictions. In other news, before we review the Champions League, fucking Salernitana, oh. they get another clutch win. Just it this just in, they won 2-1 versus their direct rivals for relegation, Venezia. And this is the first time in I don't even know how long that they find themselves out of the drop zone. The Cagliari are have fallen into it and the exciting thing for Salernitana fans is that the next game is exactly against the Cagliari if they do win that one they will have completed a streak of six games undefeated because right now they're at six they even managed to draw against Atalanta on Monday night fucking incredible remember that their manager said that if they do win he will walk from Salerno to Rome to meet the Pope. We definitely want that to happen. Rory, seahorses, any wishes for them? Oh, God. Well, people will know from the beginning of the the pod this season, I've been really, really hoping that they stayed up. It looked completely gone for most of the season. Just the fact they've made this much of a fight of it is an incredible achievement. If they do manage to stay up, it genuinely, the manager needs all of the plaudits in the world. We also need to say a quick word for Simone Verdi, who got the winner 
He's now got five goals in 14 appearances for Salernitana, which is incredible. Incredible. Like for a team that are like battling relegation, that's a very good um, success rate. And yeah, having watched them play more recently, now they're a bit more bearable to watch. Against Atalanta, they very, very nearly sold the game out. They were really unlucky there, I think, but still managed to get a draw. They're a team that look invigorated, revitalized. As I said, before Christmas, they looked like they were just dead men walking. So what an achievement and fully, fully backing them to stay up now. Now, let's get to the very core of the podcast. I know you were all distracted by Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest on Tuesday night, but we're here to remind you that a Champions League semi-final was also being played over in Spain via Real Liverpool. I think that Liverpool fans went into this game thinking that it was just going to be a bit of a stroll in the park. Next thing you know, Villarreal are up 2-0. After the first half, Rory, what do you think about this game? Incredible, incredible. I think this was the first 45 minutes that I've seen a team outrun Liverpool, out... um, maneuver Liverpool I feel like Liverpool were kind of caught between two stools it was like do we play our normal game or do we try and be more cautious and do we try and just like see this game out I think they went a bit too far towards the let's be cautious and manage this game Villarreal came out with such intensity an intensity that funnily enough you cannot sustain for 90 minutes as they were to find out but they came out with such an intensity to score within the first three minutes it just set the game off on this, like, all of a sudden, like, I put it on in the background, I had friends around, kind of had a bit of a dinner, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait, I actually need to pay attention to this game and be like, right, what's happening here? Um, Really incredible first 45 minutes from Villarreal. But then, as I said to you pre-record, Tommy, I definitely felt like I'd seen this script before. When a new Emery team gets into that position, like, at that point, the, the tie was level, right? Villarreal weren't ahead. They were tied. And even then, Emery's cautiousness was like, okay, let's just see this out, get to extra time and get to penalties. I think if maybe they hadn't sat back quite as much, maybe they could have really pounced on Liverpool not being in a good way. But it be an Emery ball. They did sit back. Liverpool came out second half completely revitalised. Definitely some angry words from Klopp. It took them a while to get their first goal, uh, Fabinho, in the 62nd minute. But then in classic Liverpool style, they score one, they score two immediately afterwards, 67th minute, and then the third, the soccer punch in the 74th minute. I think Liverpool did not play well. There were some terrible performances in this team. I think players like Cater came in for a really, he got a bit of a kick in. Um, Jota played like was pretty anonymous. Robertson didn't have the greatest game, so I think there was a lot of bad performances within this Liverpool team. But they still somehow managed to win three two. We also need to mention the fact, Tommy, that there's only really one player on the Villarreal team that, well, he's going to be taking a lot of the blame. Let's say that. What did you make of um? His performance. Everyone knows who we're talking about. Geronimo Rulli, the goalkeeper, whom I have to say, um, I I haven't watched much La Liga this year. Go for it, Rory. No, I have to just say, I didn't realise his first name was Geronimo. That is such nominative determinism. Is it Geronimo what they shouted as they fell to their death? That is like the definition of nominative determinism. 
I didn't think about it, but look, <laughs> honestly, I haven't watched much La Liga, as I was saying, but I have watched the knockout games of the Champions League. And honestly, for a guy who knows nothing, um, I thought I thought his performances were quite consistent throughout mm-hmm. these Champions League knockout stages. I thought, of course, he's not a world-class keeper, but I was just like, all right, they even got a, a pretty solid, solid keeper. I think it all started like uh, uh, in the second half. There was uh, there was this cross in the box, and he just went catching butterflies. And you were just like, right? Is this? A, I hope this is a one-off thing. Like they're not. He's not going to be consistently bad as that 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 punch that he threw in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, they risked the, the getting a goal against there, but then it felt like. He was gone. His concentration, he had a big lapse in concentration. And I want to say that he's responsible at least for two of the three goals. Um, one went right, maybe three out of three. Yeah, I think all three, honestly, I think all three. Yeah, yeah. I maybe we could say that, yeah, no, it's, yeah. Even the one that goes between his legs, it's it's not bad luck. That's just like... Well, the bad. first two, yeah, the first two go between his legs. And the yeah. third one, he's playing... He's playing as a deep lying playmaker. I think I don't know where he thinks he's supposed to be, but I think he's a keeper who, when he makes one mistake, he makes a lot of mistakes. And I never trust a goalkeeper that insists on punching everything. Yeah, like there are so many balls that he would have been able to just catch it and just do what Pickford was doing against Liverpool: just lie down, take a bit of the pressure out, take it, slow the game down. He was just punching everything, and you could see that it just piled the pressure on, piled the pressure on. He had a bad night. Yeah, definitely. Um, still a very good game. And again, Liverpool have conceded as many as seven goals in these knockout stages. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be facing a certain team that uh, makes most out of slips, let's say. So I think that Liverpool need to go into the Champions League final. Of course, it's well-deserved that they are there. They didn't steal anything, as we would say in Italy. Mm-hmm. Well-deserved that they are in the final I think that, however, this time around, it's not a two-legged business. It's one game, one shot, one kill. I'm afraid that this feeling, this desire of revenge that they have Mm -hmm. towards Real Madrid for that final, I think it might get in the way, you know? Uh, It might make them a little too... I don't know. What what do you think? Am Am I just blabbing? Or do you think that... The strong, even Salah saying, I want Real Madrid, I want revenge. Uh, is it going to play in your favor or not? There's definitely a potential for it to bite you in the arse. And like a lot of Real Madrid Twitter feeds to be like retweeting that a second after the final whistle's gone of like Mo Salah, I want Real Madrid. There's definitely a chance of it biting him in the arse. I think. But if we know, we've talked about the multiple narrative arcs that this could throw up, and football does love an arc. It does love a revenge story. I think Liverpool will be feeling pretty confident about it. But yeah, I think there is a potential, especially Klopp. He does get, he doesn't overthink like Pep. We'll get onto that. But he does get emotional. And I think there's an opportunity him, or there is a potential for him to maybe get a bit carried away with it. But for the Liverpool team... They're just out of how they manage to win games, even when how they manage to score three goals and win games when they're not even playing that well, kind of blows my mind. And a player like Luis Diaz, I thank God every day that he didn't sign for Tottenham. Jesus <laughs> Christ. He is just unbelievable. And I think the fact that they've got, they're the better team, aren't they, than Real Madrid? They are a better team. They have better players. The only thing, you're right, the only thing that can ruin it for them is if the emotions get in the way, I think. 
Look, I I think it's quite funny. Damn it. I had something smart to say and it totally escaped me. Um we were talking we'll have to wait about... ten years for the next one. Yeah. Ah, damn it. All right, guys. Welcome to the pod. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I had something very witty and smart that I wanted to say about Klopp, but uh, I've forgotten it. It will come back when we will be previewing the Serie A and the Premier League. <laughs> oh wait, games. now I've got it. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But uh, look, Liverpool, this is the fourth final that Klopp, the fourth Champions League final that Klopp gets to. Uh, of course, it's the third one with Liverpool. The first one was with Borussia Dortmund. Man, that game, I think if I were managing Borussia Dortmund in that game, I might have just given up coaching in football because that was so... Yeah, that was heartbreaking to say the least. That Robin touch, I will never forget oh. it. But props to Klopp for sticking to his job creating everything he has created at Liverpool, three Champions League finals in the space of seven years, I want to say. That's I, uh, less than that, six years. That's, that's I just had incredible. a really like bitter moment uh, when, when Liverpool got through to the final and I was seeing all the things about, you know, I was like, they have been to a lot of finals recently. I was just like, Arsenal have been to one in their history. One. And we fucking lost it. And these guys are getting three in six years. I'm like, for fuck... It, it just isn't fair. Honestly, I had a real like moment of like feeling quite sorry for myself. But an incredible, incredible achievement. The pressure is all on them, I think. They're the favourites. They are the favourites. The pressure yeah, is I, on them. I absolutely think the same. The other team doesn't possibly know what pressure <laughs> is like. And let's move on to Wednesday. When Real Madrid hosted Manchester City at the Bernabeu. Look, where do you want to start from? There are so many talking points. I Well, firstly, the game itself was actually quite boring. Mm-hmm. The game, there wasn't a lot in it. It was nil-nil, as you're all aware, for a very, very long time. I think most of it was a lot of based misses. around... A lot of squandered chances, I want to say. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Both teams missed a lot of easy chances. Um, Benzema and Vinicius were snatching at their chances so much, just like blasting it over the bar or just like, just want, like they really were snatching at their chances. Man City did have a few as well. The, the main thing really was the referee. He, he seemed to be a VIP spectator on the pitch, not really getting involved with the game much, just enjoying the show. Um, Casemiro had a... He could have had eight or nine bookings, honestly. I think every time I see him play, he never gets booked. Kind of like Sergio Busquets kind of thing, right? Like, just an absolute shithouse, but never gets booked. But also an incredibly important player to Real Madrid. Like, what he allows Modric to be able to do is so important for that team. Like, Casemiro being on the pitch means that Podric, Modric can't... Get into get into that ten position and have so much more of an impact, but there wasn't much of a kind of game. I was thinking, okay, City, you're just going to manage this, see it out, take that one goal, and then Mares scores the goal, right? And you think, okay, game over. Beautiful goal from Mares as well, incredibly goal. well taken. Beautiful goal. Sorry, when the when I saw that goal, the camera angle didn't have Mares in the. I don't know if you had the same the same uh, the same screen, but. You couldn't see Maretz. You see the ball going. You think that it's going to another player. And then all of a sudden, Maretz comes into the into the shot and just bends it towards the first post. Now, that was a whip of a shot mm-hmm. because to beat Courtois on his own post, he was chilling right there. It's got to be just like lightning, you know? He Beautiful abs- goal. Yeah. 
he absolutely makes Courtois think he's going the other way and just smashes it. You know the goal that reminded me of, just for that ball, and I think you'll appreciate this, the semi-final Italy versus Germany, you know when Pirlo holds the ball for a split second? Is it the assist? Ooh. Or is it, is it Totti that holds the ball for a split second and then puts in the runner? Oh, it's uh, Gilardino. It was Gilardino. Uh, and then gives it to Del Piero, and Del Piero just yeah. dances it like that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. that yeah. ball, because it, yeah. it's, it just reminded me of that, because you don't see the player come in. You think it's for someone else, and he just waits that split second before loading it off. It's a beautiful, beautiful assist. Great goal by Mares. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, City are going to see this out now. The fans are going wild. And I think City made their biggest mistake by scoring a goal. Because it woke up Real Madrid. It that is woke a very good point. Them up. It woke them up. Um, and, and it I also... Think, I think... The, I mean, we're going to get to this man, eyebrow boss, oh. Carlo Ancelotti. But you look at the substitutions and he absolutely, with immense guts, he absolutely revolutionized the team, takes off Tony Cross, brings on Rodrigo, that would go on to score a crucial brace for there to punch the ticket to the final. And then you take off Casemiro, you bring in Asensio, you take off Modric, and you bring Camavinga. Now you look at these three substitutions, the only substitution where you're substituting with a player in the same position is pretty much Camavinga and Modric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you're by taking off Casemiro and Kroos, two of the best midfielders in the world, crucial to this Real Madrid team, you're completely changing your lineup. You're going all offensive, but they went all offensive with a lot of structure. And they think mm-hmm. that that's just incredible coaching by Carlo Ancelotti. Well, this is it, exactly. And what they've done is he really uh, he really capitalized on the fact now the Kyle Walker injury was massive, right? That was like a huge thing. He's just come back from injury. I think Ancelotti kind of figured that he was going to have to go off at some point. I think he was just relieved he had to go off injured. It meant that Cancelo had to switch over to the right the right back position, wasn't able to attack much because he had to mark Vinicius the entire time. And Zinchenko had to go to left back. Again, he's not as effective attacking as Cancelo. And it completely, it took away a lot from Man City that. Add to that the fact that Ancelotti had brought on Rodrigo, then shifting the attack from basically just Vinicius down the left, just Vinicius down the left. He brings on Rodrigo. He can switch it to the right as well. It means City have got so much more to deal with and their wing-backs that are so important to them just weren't able to get ahead at all. Now, the 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 substitution that completely changed it, that being said, is Guardiola taking off De Bruyne for Gundogan. And then Ancelotti bringing on Camavinga. Now, with De Bruyne, I've seen a fair point of like, it only looks like a bad decision now because City have lost. Because if you look at Real Madrid, they brought off Cruz, Casemiro and Modric, right? If they'd have done that and lost, people would be going, why have you taken off Cruz, Casemiro and Modric, right? So it's easy to just say it's a bad decision because they then lost the game. But I do also think on the same hand that taking off your best midfielder, your captain right you're the guy who is creating everything for your team and able to slow down the pace keep the ball taking him off is such a like ballsy ballsy move I'm going to use the word ballsy (laughs) and then Ancelotti to bring on Camavinga a player that we've seen basically every time Real Madrid have come back in one of these ties it's been very shortly after Camavinga's come onto the pitch true 
I had to remind myself, I have to remind myself that this kid is 19. He's like, still 19? 19. They bought Jesus. him for 30 million. It is going to be the bargain of the... Like, he's going to be the best midfielder for the next 20 years. He does everything. He was tackling. He was running. He was carrying the ball up the field. His passing is... This kid just does everything. He is a pleasure to watch. His dribbling is incredible. Just the definition of an all-rounder. I think Real Madrid have made just been so, so clever in just getting him. There was no competition by him. Boop, and every single game, he has been key to turning the games around. And he's done it here as well. Just his absolute, like, he ran the game when he came on. Um, another player who I wanted to give props for a good performance when he came on, but he has been getting a bit of a kick in, unfairly, was Jack Grealish. He came I, on. He almost had a goal that was cleared off the line. <laughs> and then Foden basically cleared it off the line as well. Like, it was so unlucky that didn't go in. He had another chance where Courtois made an incredible save with his studs. Like, Grealish was amazing when he came on. He didn't track back quite enough for the first Real Madrid goal, but I think he, in general, he had an incredible performance. But now we're ready to actually talk about the goals. And who's involved in the first goal? Camavinga. He takes the free kick. Benzema heads it down, and Rodrigo is there to tap it in. Now, both of these goals from Real Madrid, they're from set pieces, and they're from second balls from set pieces. Like, Man City should be defending a lot better here. I think their centre-backs just panicked, especially in the first game, uh, especially in the first goal. And Real Madrid with the classic Liverpool 1-2, right? Scored within 90 seconds, two goals. And there we go, extra time, right? (laughs) I mean, talking about City's defence, no disrespect, he's a very good football player, but when you let Rodrigo score a header, yeah, maybe you could have done better uh, in defence. Beautiful, beautiful layoff by by Asensio, by the way. Who doesn't look for goal? He just feels there is mm-hmm. somebody next to him. And instead of directing the words toward, the ball towards goal, he just like drops it towards Rodrigo. Rodrigo is very quick to just turn it into the goal. Next thing we know, we are in overtime. The nerves start showing. Kind of a naive tackle, tackle by Laporte. And mm-hmm. who goes to the to the penalty spot? If not, Karim the Dream. Cold-blooded penalty. Goalkeeper. I was really side. hoping for a Penenka, though. I was really hoping for a Penenka. You don't but do there's that. No way. You can't do it twice. You can't nah. do it twice in a row. No, 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 no. Exactly. And that's <laughs> 3-1. And after this one, how did, did you feel like Manchester City could overturn it? Because they had all the time in the world to do it. Funnily enough, I was um, messaging Chris, friend of the show, and we were talking about it. And I was like, oh, there's plenty more goals in this. There's still 24 minutes. Like, this game's been mad now. There's got to be goals. And of course, because I said it out loud, there were no more goals. I think Real Madrid then at that point, the gamesmanship in inverted commas really, really comes into play. And they start hitting the deck, time-wasting, as Man City were doing when they were 1-0 up, right? Both teams do it, right? It's just that this is now an extra time. I think City didn't really create much. They were definitely putting pressure on, but I don't really, unless I'm remembering badly, I don't remember many clear-cut chances. I think maybe Foden had one that he could have scored. Um, I think Real Madrid managed it very, very well. I think the added time at the end of extra time was an absolute scandal. I don't know how... Either sort out how you measure added time or just fucking get rid of it because just plucking numbers out of the air is just ridiculous. They just, Mm -hmm. three, three minutes. Okay, cool. And then the ref blows on two minutes, 47 seconds. Okay, it's 13 seconds left, but 
we saw Real Madrid score two goals in 90 seconds, right? What can you do in 13? I think the referee had a really, really bad game. But I wanted to quickly talk about something because I think we're going to talk about the managers. Or I hope we're going to talk about the managers. Yeah, we need to. Um, before the extra time, there was something that I think really summed up the performances and it was the managers talking to their players. And what I saw was Guardiola looking like the mental case you see on a street corner shouting about the rapture at his players. And then you see Ancelotti just stood there. What I imagine, he looks very calm. I imagine they're very simple instructions, just reminding them, this is what you need to do. We know our game. You keep doing this. Maybe, you know, just simple, basic, calm instructions. And I think you saw it in the team's performances. Real Madrid were like, okay, this is what we do. We get to Champions League finals. No one's done it more than us, right? They had this assuredness about them. Whereas Pep, we said it before, maybe in the first leg of the semis or even the quarters, every year he doesn't get there. You can visibly see it on him that he just, the fact he hasn't been there since he's had Messi in his team is starting to become a thing, right? Um, and he's spent over a billion on this team now. And I've still seen Man City fans on Twitter say, we do not have the squad depth to get to the Champions League final. Go fuck yourself. As an Arsenal fan, we have 13 players. Like, go fuck Man, yourself with squad you got, depth. You, honestly, when you sent me that yeah. tweet, it was just like the gut that it takes to say, just like a spoiled kid with yeah. plenty of toys yeah, with yeah. like, well, but I don't have that toy. You're just yeah. like, shut the fuck up, man. Yeah. Look at Look at Inter's bench. Damn it. Got- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, it really did We've like... Got it- three strikers. We've got three strikers. <laughs> total. Total. You can yeah. play You can play Man City versus Man City easily yeah. and there are two competitive sides. Shut the fuck up. Honestly. Yeah, but- yeah. Well, exactly. And the second Man City team gets into fucking Europe. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they. It was a completely ridiculous point. But I think there is a conversation to be had about Guardiola. And obviously, they could win the Premier League this year, and that would be incredible. But I think they're kind of getting to the point now where winning the Premier League isn't enough for them. It's almost expected. Now, despite it being the Premier League and it being one of the most competitive leagues in the world, it's kind of expected that City should win it. So if they win the Premier League now, it's like, okay, tick, job done. It's not a great thing, right? Whereas I think this Champions League thing is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and just every year it's getting more. I think the calls for him to be sacked are ridiculous as well. Mm -hmm. But... At what point does he win it again? Does he win it again? How much more money does he need to spend before he wins it? Like th- it's that's what I was that's what I was asking was going to ask. Like the look, I, he he definitely managed very well a team that was already very good. Barcelona when they won well, yeah, the, the Champions one of, League, like the greatest club team of all time, arguably. But yeah. but not all. Like even this Manchester City club is a great club. You need the, the exact coaching to get all the way to the end. I think that it's getting to his head so much. Mm-hmm. Like he, the fact that he has got only one Champions League and he has managed Barcelona, Bayern Munich. And he will be remembered as one of the greatest managers in Manchester City's history. And he, st- he even played in the final and wasn't able to win it. Mm-hmm. I think it's getting to his head. And about the instructions, what he said, I absolutely agree. I mean, even like, you know that this man has won his last Champions League a long time ago with Lionel Messi, a completely different team. You've played a final with him. You've already lost it. Imagine just the peace of mind when Ancelotti looks at you and tells you, look, you have this task. You do it. We win the game. 
You mm -hmm. have this task, you do it, we win the game. How do I know it? Man, listen to it. me. We yeah, yeah, have yeah. done it many times. Just like listen They've to done me. it together already. Like if Benzema wins again, he will have as many Champions Leagues as Barcelona. Like wow. <laughs> or is that like like Champions League and European Cups, right? He will have as many as Barcelona. Like it is mental the levels of like experience they've got and the levels of just like you can like I can't imagine being a City player on that pitch and I could feel the aura of Real Madrid through my screen. Like when you're on the pitch, it must just be like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like you can feel it happening and there's nothing you can do. Very, like... good, very good piece, of course, by Rivista Contrasti where they're just like, calculate the fuck you want, calculate the humidity, calculate the XG, calculate, and then leave it to Real Madrid to just like bring in something that cannot be calculated, bring in a DNA, bring in this sort of like feeling around the club. They are going to see games out. And right now, I would be terrified if I was a Liverpool fan. Mm -hmm. These guys, yeah. have they, they, just... were about, they were about to go out against PSG, pulled it off incredibly. They were about to go out against Chelsea. They pulled it off incredibly. They were down multiple times against Man City, pulled it off. Do you think that these guys are scared going into the final? Do you think that Benzema is scared going to play in the capital city of the country <laughs> that hasn't allowed him to play international football for so long? Do you think he cannot see him lifting that trophy in front of his people Man, <laughs> I, I would be terrified if it was Liverpool. I mean, yeah, and I think I, it is something where, like, all logic is going out the window because you're like, as I said, Liverpool are the better team. They have the yeah. better players. They are the favourites. They they still have a title race that they're involved in. Real Madrid can fucking rest their players now. They've won the league. They yeah, can yeah, just yeah. fucking play a B team for the rest of the league. Like That's another factor in it as well. But I think... All logic goes out the window. And you've mentioned XG, so I need to say this because it's it, this is mental, right? Go for it. Benzema has scored 15 goals in the Champions League this season from an XG of 5.81. So he has scored three times the amount of goals that he was expected to based on his chances in the Champions League this season. If that, if I was a Liverpool fan, I saw that stat, I'd go, okay, yeah. But, but, why are there's we no way he doesn't score. Fun? There's no way he doesn't score. So you're already think, one nil down. Like, look, but I think it's going to be. I I think it's going to be a very good final. Very very good final. I feel like Liverpool have matured a lot since mm -hmm. uh, back in the day. Um, and it's Real Madrid coached by Ancelotti versus Klopp. It's just going to be intense. We needed to say um, quickly something about Carlo Ancelotti. Um, this fatherly, grandfatherly figure who is just calm, experienced. He, uh, in the Italian interview that he had after the game, he just said, I love each and every of my players with all of my heart. And when you think that his son, that's another incredible story. Mm -hmm. His son was a footballer. Then he said, I want to get into coaching. I'm not that good of a footballer. And I don't think it's easy to travel, to work with your father day after day after day when there is so much on the line. I have never seen the two just like argue. I, there have never been rumors. They are on sync. They're always chatting on the sideline. It feels like they're exactly mm -hmm. on the same page about everything. It's just beautiful to see. And that hug that they exchange at the end of the game, <laughs> right after, with a lot of class, Ancelotti, goes to console Guardiola, 
the first person he looks for is his son. They have this hug, teary eyes, beautiful, beautiful image. Ancelotti, what a legend. What an absolute legend. I would like to see him manage Italy at some point, but oh, I don't think that's going to happen. That's what we need. That's what we need. I, that's I like think... the that's the end of the that's the end of the story, right? He he manages win, he manages win the it. World Cup with Italy after Italy oh. don't qualify for it for two consecutive editions. That would be just like, all right, now I need to stop. I've done way too much, you know. Like Imagine now. the size of the statue in Rome. Jesus Christ. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, for the game, like if we talk about the, the, the teams, the one thing I do kind of, I, I have concern for Liverpool, and I think it gets overblown a little bit, is about Trent Alexander-Arnold defensively because he is so so key offensively. He is going to be up against Vinicius Junior, um, and I think that might keep him pretty busy. Um, but it will be a really interesting, you're right, to see the cycle and how far they've gone from that Carrius and like, that was kind of the start of the Klopp thing or the start of the boom of the Klopp thing. Have they progressed? How far have they come? It's going to be fascinating. And I'm very, very relieved it's not a Liverpool-Man City final. Honestly, I wasn't looking forward to it. I think the games between them in general have been very good this year, but I think a Champions League final, it would have been terrible. The finals that usually involve two teams from the same country invariably are pretty terrible. Um, So I think, yeah, two European giants... A lot of history between these teams is great. I am ruddy excited. And I can't wait for Arsenal to be in the Champions League next year and be alongside them. All right, Rory. <laughs> don't get ahead of yourself. But guys, of course, since the tradition last year, we started this tradition. It was quite fun. We want to carry it on. We are going to be commenting the game live come May 28th. I think we're both going to be supporting Real Madrid. We're going to be a little yeah, biased, yeah, though. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, don't tune in. It's going to be annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be annoying. Yeah, just like, no, when Liverpool score. And yes, when Real Madrid score. But honestly, it's... Tommy, the journey I've been on, being on with Benzema this year, I've gone from, like, obviously hating him. I feel that like maybe it's just a proper glory hunter, fair weather, shitty thing to say. But now I'm, like, properly back in the guy being like yeah fuck it let's go let's get that trophy Karen like I feel you deserve it I feel like I've been on a spiritual journey alongside it man I think Benzema and he did a lot in this past season to achieve this I think he's going to be remembered as one of the greatest number Mm -hmm. nines in football history Mm -hmm. I think yeah 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 I think he does generation. I mean, it's, of this generation, it's going to be him, Lewandowski, and so on. But his name is forever going to be up there as one of the deadliest number nines in the history of football. Well deserved. That, that being said, if Sadio Mane's season goes to plan, he could win in one year the AFCON, the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup, the Premier League, and the Champions League. Yeah, if was, he does that, yeah. Ballon d'Or. Yeah, ooh. Wow. So it's there are two Ballon d'Or contenders in the the in the Champions League final. And another crazy stat before we jump to our interview, our guest is waiting for us to come on. Liverpool are going to play all 63 games that they could possibly play this season. They haven't been eliminated by any competition yet. They're going to play 63 games of football in a season. Oh, 
congratulations to Jurgen Klopp and the boys. Rory, you can't see him, but Rory just like had his hand all over his face and was just like, damn it, I kind of want that too at my club. <laughs> when is this going to happen to Arsenal? Will that ever happen at any point? Bloody hell. <laughs> all right. I believe it's time for our interview. The guest is going to be introduced in the weekly topic itself. Brace yourself. It's a book author. He's got a lot of interesting things to talk about, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And can you believe it, listeners? It is time for another guest. We are spoiling you. This week, we are joined by podcaster, author, Football fan, Stuart James Quigley. He has a book coming out later next month, in June, is that next month now? Called The Cornerstone Collection, Sculpting the Premier League's Past, Present and Future. We are delighted to have you on the show, Stuart. How are you doing, mate? I am equally, if not more, infinitely more, no less, (laughs) delighted to be here. This is, uh, we're at the absolute apex of the season in terms of things that are going mm-hmm. on in terms of football as you mentioned i've got a book coming out so this is quite exciting <laughs> and i'm on a podcast this is even more exciting this is gonna be great i'm I, i'm loving the energy as always of course we are joined by tommy as well tommy do you want to say hello yeah hello guys hello Stuart. <laughs> and uh, you know you're not the first one who says it very clearly when the anglo italian pod has you on it means that you've made it big so congratulations man <laughs> Stuart this is just the the first one of many work related satisfactions that you're going to get hopefully this year and in the years to come thank you for agreeing to uh, to come on the pod i'm very excited to discuss everything related to this book no, so for our listeners there you go. it's going to get so big it's going to be so good <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners do you want to give us a quick like a quick blurb. What is the book? What's it about? Um, and how did you come up with the idea for the book? Like every good idea, it started over a few beers. <laughs> and I take you back to the heady days. Of, I think it was 2017. My memory, all dates are terrible these days. But the have you seen the film Memento? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great film. Right. Yeah, Christopher Nolan masterpiece. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also as well, like we are here on the Anglo-Italian podcast, it began with a podcast because the idea was a podcast about doing the Premier League mm-hmm. backwards. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was a, at first it was a gimmick. It was like you do um, game number 38. That's where you start and then you mm-hmm. end on game number one. So it starts oh, wow. being very predictive and then it ends being reactive and you cover how the season went over the course of it. And in the middle, nice. you get a little bit of immediacy. How many beers are we talking, Stuart? Uh, this was five years ago now. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no, no. How, <laughs> many, how, many, how many beers are we talking for to have to come up with this idea? Oh, no, this was like over, like, how many beers? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like 10 points in. It was good. <laughs> um, when we did the first season, it, it was a one-off. You can't repeat that. And it was, okay, what you can do is you can do all the seasons backwards. You can start mm-hmm. from whatever the current season is, predict that, and then work your way backwards to the very start of the Premier League. You get to the end of that. What do we do now? I quite like this. This is good. The players. Can we tell the story of the Premier League through the players themselves? Mm. And not only that, can we tell their story backwards? 
Okay. Start with where they retired, figure out where they started, and during the course of that, we might sort of stumble upon the story of the Premier League. That sort of process left a, a burning desire, which was to say, this is good, this is, I need to put this down into words. And mm. so last year, with that season of the podcast already like set in stone, I turned to Pitch Publishing, the, the geniuses at Pitch Publishing, and said, Let, let's make this a book. Let's let's mm. do this as a, as a full story. And it's currently, um, as things stand with Luton being a particular, I wouldn't say fly in the ointment because they're having a glorious season. But as <laughs> things stand, this book covers every single club that's ever been in the Premier League every single era of the Premier League, every single position and the evolution of all those three things coming together into one hopefully glorious, amazing 330-odd pages. Wow. Wow. I like it. That's a really like creative idea, a really different way of looking at it. What do you think, from doing it that way, what were the first things that stood out or what are the things that you noticed that you don't think you would have noticed if you've done it the kind of more orthodox way, let's say. I think first and foremost is that, and if you want to do this as an exercise, please, by all means, go ahead. Because I think fundamentally, when this book comes out, there are going to be certain conversations about why didn't you include this person and why didn't mm -hmm. you include that person? And when you dig deep, there are, for certain clubs, only a select few players that you can pick from because mm. of either their relation towards other issues or their just overall success. Like, for example, Oldham and Swindon, mm -hmm. there's not a lot outside of those fan bases that most other people will know. And yet yeah. within those factors, you can still tell a very big, broad scope of a story because of the clubs and the fan bases and also what's happened since. It's, this is a story of the Premier League because to do it with... For example, La Liga or Serie A, to, to really narrow it down the Anglo-Italian mm -hmm. part, is you've got like the entire history of those yeah. leagues. Whereas with the Premier League, this isn't about oh, football was invented in 1992. This is about, and also as well, really rather like fortuitously, this is the 30th year. And mm. so it's a really nice sort of timeline of like, where were we in 1992? Where are we in 2022? And to go from there. And, and in terms of what you're saying and what you learn, what you learn is the things that you didn't really know. Like I, I didn't start following football regularly until the sort of mid 90s. And, mm. and all that early 90s stuff is is fantastic. Sort of for a football obsessive, you, you, you get to really dig deep into the stories that you wouldn't necessarily have heard anywhere else. Mm. So you get both a taste of the history of each club and how they performed in the particular season that they were in the Premier League, but also you get the stories of the protagonists of that club mm -hmm. within that season. My question, of course, is with the smaller clubs, probably it's easier to do, but how can you narrow down like Manchester United to just two or three core players? The Man United one is a, is a good one because... Uh, this is a spoiler free, of course. Uh, mm. The opening chapter is Wayne Rooney. Okay. All right. And what I wanted to do very specifically is I didn't want to go for the biggest names. So, again, without meaning to disappoint anyone, there's no Henri, 
Oh. Okay. <laughs> what? Where do we press and? You've lost us. Those are the biggest players. Yeah. But I didn't want to tell stories that had already been told. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with Wayne Rooney, I think the really interesting thing is that he's, as things stand, Man United's all-time top goal scorer. He's England's all-time top goal scorer. And the story I'm interested in is that he's not got his place in history set in stone. Mm. Even despite the numbers, the story about Wayne Rooney isn't necessarily his achievements. It's why don't those achievements matter as much? It does still feel like people have a general view of Rooney of like, oh, he still didn't get his potential. And you're like, well, he did win everything. And he is Manchester United, as you said, all-time top goal scorer. But you're right, there is still a view of him of like, ah, but what could have been? It's strange. Do you think that's a national psyche or is that particular to Wayne Rooney? I'm not sure. I think there is something definitely in regard to English players and their ability to be overhyped to the moon when they first Mm -hmm. break onto the scene and then uh, potential being one of the most dangerous words in football. Mm -hmm. Um, And how you as a footballer navigate what was, and and also as well, like without meaning to, to sound too harsh on the actual achievements of Man United, nothing broke out Wayne Rooney as much as that goal against Arsenal for Everton. Yeah. Yeah, And that's because you can see it all in front of you. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm looking retroactively back and it's it. he won so much and he did so much. <laughs> yeah, and also yeah. as well, guess what? He's slightly underrated as an actual footballer. Yeah, yeah. So, so to return to your question, Tommy, like in terms of narrowing it down to certain players, um, I don't want to go over old ground too much. If I'm picking a certain player that's more popular, mm-hmm. I want to go over a particular facet of, of that player. Uh, for example, uh, you said about the, the older clubs, and I've already mentioned this before. There's only one or two players that you can select. Um, for Oldham, Gunnar Haller, he came into Oldham before they joined the Premier League. Mm. And on the opening day of the Premier League season 1992, he was one of 13 foreign players within the Premier League. <laughs> and we would go from 13... To what we have now, which is just and also like a worldwide assembly of everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. that journey of not just Oldham and what they did and Bradford and Leeds in terms of his career there, but also the journey of English football from having 13 foreign players on the opening day, 1992-93, to what we've got now. Mm -hmm. Well, Oldham is also a really interesting case specifically because obviously this week, well, last week they've just gone mm. out of the football league as well. The first, or well, the only like Premier League, well, one of the founding Premier League clubs have now yeah, gone yeah. out of the league. With that happening, was that something again that when you were writing the book, you saw how much football has changed in general and how some of these clubs haven't been able to keep up with the times or they found themselves in bad hands? Did it make it more stark with the news from Oldham? Yes, it's. Oldham's story is such a tragic one in the Mm. sense of football is... And and again, I think this relates to uh, a lot of things across the board, not just Oldham, but there's so much out there in terms of cynicism, in terms of negativity. Oh, modern football is this and modern football is that. But if you remove the word modern from it, football is joyous, football is glorious, Mm. football unites more than it divides and... I, I, I mean, you, more, you already know this. This sentence is completely like ludicrous right now. But I am a football romantic. I believe in the power <laughs> of football. Yeah. And to see <laughs> what happened to this club 
over the course of the last 30 years mm. is a disgrace. Yeah. And part of that as well, and part of through the book is there are certain clubs that have been up and fallen on harder times. And I came at this from a perspective of, I don't want to tell the story from a, this player scored this goal. There were this many goals in the season. They won mm. this, they did this, or they were relegated to this. I'm coming at this from a perspective of what did the people in the stands feel? How do you feel when you see this and, and the driving emotions behind whatever X player did in X year, whether it be 92, 2002 or 2022, it's a case of it all. We're all the same. We're all, we're all like fans at the end of the day and all them being going from this position where they were to the position where they are now. I'd like to think that every club has its day. You don't just get one day either. No. And, and hopefully things can turn around for them in the better in the future. So I'm very, very curious about this. Now, it's quite easy, so to say, in uh, inverted commas, to publish a book with, uh, like you didn't do it. So with all the stats, the number of goals, you just have to go online, you check a few websites, you've got all the stats, and then you build a nice little story around it. But when you want to know the Leeds fans' feelings back in 1992, then it becomes quite hard to do research. So I'm very curious about this. How did you conduct your research? Was there a lot of, uh, you know, paging through old newspapers, local newspapers? Was there talking to friends of yours that are fans? Was there talking to fans that you met online? I'm very, very curious about this. The beautiful thing about that question is the idea that because this was already a podcast and because I've gone back over the years and spoke to so many fans of those clubs, first of all, when you originally did the series mm -hmm. and then later on in later years when we've done series since, you get a certain sense of stories and narratives. And when you want to change that narrative or break that narrative, um, for example, um, Chris Sutton, is a player that is associated with Blackburn winning the league and being really bad at Chelsea, having paid 10 million for him. Yeah. Um, he's also someone that could have won the league in its first ever season with Norwich. And that was when they, they were like they were like third with a negative goal difference somehow, right? I think I remember yeah. that. Yeah. I, I I I wanted to know. Certain, I mean, there are certain players where you have to sort of because you've only got 45 chapters to cover 50 teams, so there are certain players that can cover a lot of ground, mm -hmm. and there are certain players that can cover very short ground. So, like, there are a few chapters where it's effectively about one club and it's the story of one club, mm -hmm. and you go into their history, you talk to their fans, as you say, go into forums and 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 go back in terms of like when these players may have been transferred and. Uh, they may have upset the fan base and, and whether that's true or not, or whether it's a myth or not. And I, one of the things I like about Premier League history is it, it's got this like sort of running, I think all football history does have this to a certain degree. It's got a running sort of story. And yet within that story, there's always about three or four more that if you look, you can find. Yeah, look, another thing we were talking about it with Rory off mic, like we love talking about football, um, but at the end of the day, there is uh, what we talk about is just the tip of the iceberg. We don't know what's going on in the locker room. We don't know 
what are the what are I don't know right now all our eyes are on Salernitana possibly staying up in Serie A like we don't really know I don't know anybody from Salerno I don't really know in depth what the people from Salerno were feeling at the beginning of the season how they are feeling now so it's very interesting what you did actually going back to tracking back those emotions that the people involved were feeling and it's not an easy research to do how long did it take you like I say, the full year of doing the podcast was one thing, but every time since, going back to every interview that the players themselves did, mm-hmm. and and looking at their emotions and their uh, stories, and 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 sort of how they want to tell their stories as well. There's there's a couple of players I, I won't go into too much detail, but mm-hmm. there's certain stories that I find particularly interesting. But they've said in previous interviews that they don't want to be talked about, and um, I won't name the guy, but. Mm-hmm. There's a player who his father died while he was playing for a certain club and he was in the reserve side. And um, he had every right to just skip the reserve game and go be with his family. And and the the process of grief is so different for every human being. I think this is what I wanted to drill down in as well. I wanted to get human stories within these unbelievable superstars that we put on Mm -hmm. a pedestal. And he played this reserve game when he had no right to because that was his way of dealing with it. Mm. And on me personally, that really resonated with me because I have a very similar experience with a family member passing away and myself wanted to play football because football is that escape, whether it's just a weekly three o'clock, I want to try and like ignore work for the last seven days or whether it's something actually a bit more deeper. I, I've tried mm. to sort of, the game itself is simple. Life is complicated. <laughs> I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So, with it, like, it, obviously, like that story really connected with you. With it, were there any stories that, like, kind of surprised you, or you found that you were like, "Oh, I didn't think I would be that interested in this aspect of Swindon or whatever." Was there mm-hmm. any stories that really jumped out to you? Well, first of all, the the discovery of certain information that I wasn't aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's so much to learn about football and not just football before um or sorry rather up until 1992 but before that as well like Swindon I didn't know they had their one season in the Premier League they were relegated with having conceded 100 goals but they should have been up a couple of seasons before and they Mm. were denied promotion because they ended up having to admit to I think it was something in the region of like 35 out of 46 breaking regulations in terms of like there, there was so much financial stuff going on there that, that not only were they done promotion i think they might have even been relegated to division two and wow. then they managed to uh, that potentially may have um uh, been suspended of a course mm-hmm. but like within a couple of years and and then obviously they go up and and i think this is one of the things that i find fascinating is that especially in the early years, there are so many jumping off points where everything could have been so much different. Swindon come mm. up to the Premier League and Glenn Hoddle goes to Chelsea. If Glenn Hoddle stays at Swindon, I, I'm not, I can't say they stay up, but it certainly would have been different. Uh, same club, same team. Mm. Yanaga Fjortov comes in and starts scoring after Christmas. If he'd started scoring for the whole season, then what, what might have happened there? And there's so many what might have and how much different the Premier League could be. And and the best thing about it is, is that because you've got a 30-year period to choose from, it centres around the 2000 to 2005 mark because the first 10 years of the Premier League are so much different to the rest mm. of it that 
it's fascinating how it evolved and it was such a slow process of change during those first 10 years and then after that it's on absolute light speed mm. going back to what you said of how many things could have been there was a history teacher of mine um when i was in middle school i will forever remember this sentence i cannot get it off my head she said history if made is made of howevers you know so these could have happened However, <laughs> these other things happened. And if you look at the, all the howevers in football, it's ridiculous. Because you could say history is made by ifs. I've thought about it so long. But in the end, it's history is made of howevers. Mm -hmm. You know, that thing didn't happen because something else mm. happened, right? Oh, no, well, I don't... And then when you get to the, like I said, the, the early 2000s, the, the start of that decade, you've got two teams in Arsenal and Man United who are heralded unbelievable mm -hmm. the treble winners the 1999 unbelievable man united side and then you go to the invincibles of arsenal and in between that there's a couple of sides below them that are bubbling and one of them just completely takes english football by the scruff of the neck and leaves man united and arsenal aside mm -hmm. completely no spoilers on who that is <laughs> well, so that is when you're centering around that point, like you said, the 2005 mark, that is when the league completely transformed. Yeah. You're right. Like, yeah, Arsenal and Liverpool had gone from kind of like being fairly self sustaining and financially dominant, but not to the point then. Do you think that is the moment like the Premier League peaked, or do you think the peak was later on? It might be quite a difficult question to answer because obviously it's subjective, but do you think. When do you think like the drama was the highest, or is like that's peak Premier League? Oh, there's a couple of questions in there. I'll attempt mm. to answer them all. <laughs> I think the peak is now. Yeah, I genuinely think that, and also what I would say, and I think this is as close to a direct quote as I can remember off the top of my head: the present will always be the peak mm. because you're drawing on everything that's come before it. Okay, and. Yeah. There's so much in terms of uh, Wenger comes in in the late 90s and revolutionises the marginal gains, the 5%, mm -hmm. the little things that... Like, it sounds really stupid now in terms of like, oh, okay, we're just going to do dieting really well. But teams didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and then you get to the, the tactical minutia that was early stage God Mourinho mm -hmm. and Rafa Benitez. And then you get to where we are now with Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola and Tuchel. And like, I'd even go so far as to say, like, up until about six months ago, before it fell off, Bielsa. And, and there's so mm -hmm. many coaches in the Premier League now that it, it's it's a driving force for. Um, and, and also, it's quite cyclical because what will end up happening is that a side with maybe not necessarily the greatest tactical nous. Will will come along and usurp all this. I, I mean, he he was sat, so I think this doesn't work as a full comparison. But Sean Dyche at Burnley worked magnificently well for the last four or five years, just doing the opposite of what everyone else was doing. Yeah. No, that's very true. That's very true. Sometimes, like, yeah, if it's a good idea at some point, it has to remain a good idea for a while. Yeah. Right? It will still work, right? Um, Okay, so we, we've done all this without actually finding out which team you support and how much fun was it writing about the team that you support, whoever they are. Eagle-eyed viewers of this glorious, my glorious visage, as it were, will <laughs> maybe be able to tell. This is actually the Liverpool third kit as a T-shirt. Okay, right. Well, are, you, are you from Liverpool? 
No. How does and, the story you know go then? That's, that's in the book. The idea of, I think you should support the team that you're from. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's a thing. I think football should be passed down. Yeah. I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing if it doesn't. If you find your way, you find your way. We all have our paths to walk down. And I, I know I had a particular path. But at the same time, I do think that you, you probably should support your local team. Okay. And well, where are you I, from originally? I, 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 <laughs> oh, sorry, Tommy. Go on. Sorry. Where are you from originally? Uh, Birmingham. All right, Birmingham. There'll be people watching this screaming at the accent. I already like. <laughs> I'm yeah, gonna... speaking multiple sentences. Like the fact that I can speak in full sentences may fool some people, but other. Than... <laughs> well, I was going to say I'm a Northern Arsenal fan, so I can't really, you know, like we do find our way. Uh, but I think, yeah, there is a thing for like I support Crew Alexandra as well, and like being the kind of like supporting your local team. So, how did you find yourself as a Liverpool fan? And is that why you think it's the peak now? Because Liverpool are at the top. <laughs> is that why? I would like to think that I can look you in the eye and say, I don't believe that this is the peak because of that. Mm. But I think that might be a little sort of patting myself on the back too much and pretending I'm a bit <laughs> too neutral. I'm not. I'm not. Definitely. And I would like to think, by the way, as I talked to you before about Rooney. Mm. And I'd like to think as much as my allegiances are very set, that this book is as sort of whoever I'm writing about, I'm on their side. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in terms of like growing up, um, really rather ironically, my father grew up in the late 80s. Well, he grew up before that, but in the late 80s, <laughs> he assumed or rather made the decision that football was becoming a bit too expensive for him. He'd been a sort of diehard, go home and away, Birmingham City fan at the time. Okay. And in the early 90s, he, he, he'd knocked it on the heads because it was just too much for him. So I grew up in a household where there was no football, uh, other than what I saw on TV. Mm. And I grew up with stories of Liverpool sides of the past. Um, and for anyone out there that's thinking I'm a glory hunter, I grew up as a Liverpool fan in the 90s. So <laughs> we were not good <laughs> um, but I remember genuinely. My, this is the story. My story was that I was I was watching a Liverpool game on TV. Um, I, I'd had passing knowledge or allegiances with football, but the first game I ever cared about was Liverpool Bronby, and Bronby not Liverpool out of the UEFA Cup as it was. And I cried. <laughs> and I was like, "Why are you so emotional about a team you have no connection to?" And and part of it was because of what I'd been told about these Liverpool sides of the mm-hmm. past. And then it stuck. And it became something that as I grew up, like a lot of people, and I, I don't want to speak for two, like a whole swathe of fans, but when you grow up outside of the city you support or the team you support, the city they reside, reside in, um, it becomes your identity to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that I've loved as I've grown older is that the city of Liverpool and its identity, I've very much bought in on. And, and some of the values and some of mm-hmm. the um, the ideas of like, Liverpool. I mean, I'm not going to get too political, but Liverpool is a very political city. And yeah. that's where I gravitate toward mm-hmm. anyway. So it became sort of more a part of me as I've grown up. And, and while I say to you before, and I still firmly agree, like there are um, towns and cities and fan bases. And again, this is part of the book that, those lower league teams that come up, those small sides that 
aim for one shot at glory, let alone the, the sides that I'm talking about. And I'm seeing, I'm, I'm genuinely blessed to see today. Mm-hmm. Um, they want one day. I, I'm getting every day of it, and, and and I don't take that for granted. And so it's a case of trying to associate one person's experience with the whole of football experience. Because mm-hmm. uh, you say Arsenal fan, Liverpool fan, we all have days where it's terrible. It's just the frequency with which we have the days where it's good. And for the most, for the majority. I'm, I'm beneficial. I'm, I'm on the right side of that divide. And mm-hmm. I, just, I don't take that responsibility lightly. No, no. And I think it is important because like, I've got friends that are like, um, who's a West Ham fan or friends who kind of support the kind of one of the other Premier League teams. And mm. when me and my other Arsenal friends start moaning about, you know, we've not been in Champions League for five years, we've not done this, we've not done that, it's like, <clears throat> uh, do you mind, like, we've been relegated, <laughs> like, you do not know what good times are. So it is, or you do not know what bad times are. So it's important to, to mm. kind of keep that in check. But through writing the book, was there anything that, like, made you look at Liverpool differently by the fact that you had to write about them and look into it? Was there anything you learned about the club that you weren't aware of beforehand? I think in terms of, there's one chapter that's not about a Liverpool player. Mm-hmm. That is arguably the only time in the book where it comes at a Liverpool perspective that it might not necessarily warrant it. But what okay. I would say about that is that it was a genuine moment in time, and we are talking about 2005 mm-hmm. and everything that span off that, and a player that went from being a makeshift forward mm-hmm. to a Premier League champion but not with the club he was with and certain events, certain things. I can I can look at things through a certain lens and I can attempt to take those glasses off from time to time when I'm talking about a Wayne Rooney, for example. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, Liverpool, Wayne Rooney, that's Man United and Everton. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm praising that guy from, you know, a place of that is serious <laughs> levels. And so and there are other players in the book where, um, so especially as well, there are players that play for us in the book that don't mm-hmm. necessarily have the greatest of uh, careers and or successes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, uh, Tommy, you asked me earlier about this idea of like judging the story of a club through the book. I think Liverpool's story, as I've got it, is as close to the accuracy of it was bad for a long time and now it's a lot better. Uh, that's uh, genuinely, that is the most sarcastic uh plain face sentence i can say but in terms of um looking at liverpool i think i i'm trying not to look at it through the eyes of a fan but at the same time you can't not mm-hmm. and that's that i think along with a lot of football commentary these days is it's something that's either slightly missing or something that's maybe tried too hard to ignore there's no such thing as neutrals when it comes to this i would rather know if we take Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville's mm-hmm. a perfect example. I know from where their biases come. And I rather would know from where their biases come because it makes it easier to work out what they're saying. Whereas you've got, and I don't mean to drag on the guy too much, but Martin Tyler, he's supposedly neutral and everything he comes out with, I think is one thing or another. Like if you, if a Man United fan says a Liverpool thing is good, then I know it's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there should be more bias in football. Don't, shy away from this idea of neutrality and and mm-hmm. oh we have to be professional and, and and to the degree where 
if you read the book, it's not just this player didn't play for Liverpool, he was terrible. I've gone all in on how good this guy was. Right. I think, yeah, I think you're right. There, there has to be like, it is what makes us love the game is the tribalism and the bias yeah. and the kind of maybe not the objective opinions, right? Um, but the, part of the book is talking about the future of the Premier League as well, right? And why, where you think it could go. Mm. What were your kind of, without too many spoilers, what do you think the future of the Premier League kind of lies? I think in terms of certain players, whether it be their... I wouldn't say destiny, that's a bit too extreme, but there's one very specific player in the book who, um, let's just say, had a very sour end to Euro 2021. Mm. I very nearly said 2020 there. Um, <laughs> and um, he, he couldn't convert from 12 yards, shall we say. Mm -hmm. uh, could be one of three. And yep. <laughs> um, his career like the, the path that we talked about throughout this podcast in terms of whatever your path may be it lies ahead of him there's another mm. player that um plays for manchester city who has been uh i wouldn't say a bit part player but a utility player he, he comes mm. on he does his part and he had no right to be a part of this man city side and what will happen to him in the future what will happen to man city in the future and also as well within that um what happens to um teams bringing players through because the way that a side at the top will be able to bring kids in versus the necessity and the um, almost trepidation that teams lower mm. down can bring players through is just sort of, you know, you, you can talk about the future where you know it's set. There's mm. one player in there that might not really play Premier League football from now on, but he plays for Brentford and his story and their story is as valid and as mm -hmm. good as any other team that's come up and had their moment. I wanted to ask you another thing. We are going to, since we it's, it's the Anglo-Italian pod, we also have a, a question related to an adventure that you lived in Italy. Um, so I'm going to ask you about that experience. You can tell our listeners about it. And then, since you sound knowledgeable about other national football leagues, I wanted to ask you, I'm not a so-called Prem head, but I thoroughly enjoyed the Premier League and I do think it is the best league to watch. So if I was if I was to reel in an American friend of mine who does not watch soccer, as they call it, I would put on definitely a Premier League game or a championship game. Definitely not a Serie A game. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think makes Premier League football so much better than other leagues i think i said to you before about i couldn't or rather i didn't talk about the numbers of these players there are numbers in there there are mm -hmm. stats in there but when you talk about the premier league historically i think and i am almost certainly going to get this number wrong there have been in english top flight so removing the 1992 barrier mm -hmm. somewhere in the region of 30 teams that have ever won the top flight in england maybe slightly more maybe slightly less in italy and in spain and in germany i believe it's all under 10 yeah no definitely under 10 in italy maybe yeah it gets close to 10 maybe 11 i don't know but yeah mm. not not much more than that yeah english football works because it's hierarchy, because it's pyramid. And that's one of the other things that I wanted to try and illustrate in the book as well, is that with certain teams that you might think, oh, well, they were in the Premier League once and they don't matter now, or 
they have very little relevance to today. The 92 is the Premier League. The Premier League mm. exists at its top of the tree and, and as its like crown on the jewel because of everything below it. And I go right the way down to grassroots level when I say this. Mm. Because you said about if you wanted to talk to your American friend about football, you'd, you'd say maybe the Premier League or maybe the Championship. The Championship is the fifth most supported league in Europe in terms of fan attendances. <laughs> But it's also and insane. Every game is just like, every, you mad. just sit down and you don't know what is going to happen, but you can be sure that it's going to be plenty of goals bagged yeah. in both ends. The, the sheer amount of history that every team in this division and below has with every other team in this division and below, it would be, it's, it's, I, I've done it for the last 30 years in this period. To try and do it for all of English football would mm. be nigh on impossible. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I, I, I think it is something that stands out between English and Italian football about the lower leagues and like the standards and stuff. So how on earth did you find yourself watching Carpi finding their way into Serie B? Into Serie A. Um, Serie A, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the thing that's like maddening is that like them being in the position to go from Serie B to Serie A in the first place was something that sort of caught my eye. And over it was during a particularly lean year of Liverpool, I should point out. I think, in fact, I know that this is the season that ended with Stoke 6, Liverpool 1. Oh, wow. And I was out of the country there. So thank God I was out of the country for that one. Like, that was... Oof, I judge the bullet on being there for that one. Um, but it was one of these ones where sometimes in football, and, and again, this is a theme not just for the Premier League, not just for English football, but for football full stop, the underdog story always takes hold. The underdog mm -hmm. story always brings you in. And when I noticed out of nowhere, it would have been just a cursory Google that Carpi were in and amongst the mix in Serie B. It was, ah, oh, I'll keep an eye on that. And then months go by and games go by. And then sure enough, not only are they in the mix, and I, by the way, I love the way the playoffs work in Serie B in terms of not just the sixth plays seventh plays this, plays that, in terms of the, if there's not enough of a points gap, we just don't do playoffs. No, right. And, yeah. if that's still not, by the way, if that rule has changed, I'll be very disappointed. Um, but like in terms of Carpi being sort of not outright winners, but enough for me to go, I can go and see them. Mm go up to Serie A? Why? <laughs> like at this point, like it's a, it's a town of 4,000 people. Like, <laughs> why wouldn't you go? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And like I say, well, we weren't doing anything. The season was coming to an end. Um, unfortunately for myself, they're actually too good for my expectations because they won the title the game before <laughs> I went. Um, and I went to sort of the last game of the season. And, and do you know what, actually? It was a really bittersweet um, 90 minutes for a variety of reasons because like, I managed to get a ticket and I, I, I went without any sort of promise of a ticket and, and I got to the game and the whole thing was prefaced by this joy of, of getting to Serie A and this team, this town, this unbelievable achievement with this idea that they'd, because of the rules of the grounds in Serie A and because of everything else, they'd mm. have to like ground share with their local rivals in terms of um, being able to even play at that level. And it was almost like 
a selling out of the club's values in itself yeah. of going up. And it was, yes, this is good. Yes, we've done this. But at what cost? Mm. And a lot of the locals were quite, I mean, obviously they were happy they've done it, but it was a very, very bittersweet evening. And and then obviously as well, because I'm just some random person that's decided to um, jump over to Italy speaking very, very little Italian. And enough for <laughs> a boy, but not enough. Uh, enough to know that I could be called out of, what is this guy doing here every five minutes? <laughs> but it was like being the, the group I went with, friends for life, and when I was, I, there were people coming up. And this is what do you know what as well? This is why I love Italian football and I love, love Italy because um, when after the game I was sort of being dragged here and there by people that were just fascinated by the idea that I was there. The hospitality was amazing. I didn't have to buy a drink all night, and when I did, I bought double because that's what happens when you send the English person to the bar. And <laughs> it's very and, good and point for me. That is football. Mm-hmm. That was that mm. connection. That was that, you know, I, I, yes, there is the tribalism. Yes, there is the idea that we are set apart by the teams and the colours and the, the places that we live and, and the, the, the borders that exist. But at the end of the day, like, these are people that I share very little with in terms of common language, and yet we mm. shared that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Football, football is a language of its own. Mm. Beautiful stuff. That's that's very interesting and exciting. Can you tell us exactly what the title? I don't know if we've covered the title. The the title. I think I mentioned podcast. it once, but not enough. Definitely <laughs> right. not enough. <laughs> well, we are going to give you time right now to actually go on and do a promo about your book. When is mm. it coming on? Where can we find it? Etc. Uh, Etc. Et we'll let you go. Sure. Um, as a big wrestling fan, by the way, when you say cut a promo, that is the dangerous <laughs> word. Um, it is the cornerstone collection it's coming out on june the 20th it's available for pre-order now if you go onto my twitter which is at sq studios it's the link on that if you go onto pitch publishing's website and search for my name you'll be able to find it if you send a carrier pigeon forward of england care of birmingham i will find it (laughs) and like i say there is and this is exciting and any other season i'd probably be pulling for them but as things stand, every club that's ever played in the Premier League, and if Luton spoil that, then so be it. That's football. <laughs> every era, you will be able to read and hear. And, and like I said before at the top of the show, these aren't the Henri's, the Gerrard. Mm-hmm. There are, by the way, some huge players in there. There's some names mm-hmm. that I've left off there very intentionally. And, and also, at the end of the day, just as an exercise, look at the list of players that have ever played in the Premier League. I remember when we did this podcast, when we first sat down, uh, I wrote out a list of like, four or five from everyone uh, with like the Man United, the Liverpools, the Man Cities, etc. There was more than four or five. But I think the list I ended up with was close to a thousand. And then narrowing that down to 45 players that cover everything. Can That's you tell us, I just need to know who was the 46th that you left out? <laughs> that he, was, he almost made the short list. Oh, no, come on, this is brilliant. And then you like there, flicked him off like that. <laughs> there are so many that I would have loved to include it. And there is so many, like, because this is the thing as well, is that I think this book is, it, it's so comprehensive. It's got everything. It, it fulfills the job. It does what it says, not on the tin, because it doesn't come in a tin, but still. <laughs> it, at the same time, it is a little bit subjective. So there are a few players in there that, maybe you could reverse and also there are a few players that i want in there 
that I couldn't put in mm -hmm. because of certain players that are already locked in. Um, I, this may be such a random reference, but I always said it. And when we did the podcast, I wanted this guy in the podcast and we couldn't put him in the podcast. And when I wanted to do the book, I was like, mm, can I put him in the book? No, I can't put him in the book. But Michael Bridges of Leeds, he had one season mm -hmm. where he was absolutely amazing. And it was right at the cusp of before Leeds jumped off in like 98, 99. Yeah. And injury decimated the rest of his mm -hmm. career. And it was like, oh, the, and Leeds fans out there, there are players that cover that particular period of Leeds history. Don't you worry. More than one even. <laughs> yeah. But, like, the personal preferences, and I think this is what it is, it's that I would go so far as to say that more or less every famous player you could have put in, every mm -hmm. big player you could have put in. This 45 is not a definitive 45. It's just as close to a perfect 45 as I could have gotten. I love it. I love it. I cannot wait to read this book. Honestly, I cannot wait. And for anyone who wants to listen to the pod as well, give us a quick plug for the name of the podcast as well. This is the best thing about this, by the way. The podcast is so like sort of held upon scaffolding at the moment because the moment the book deal was put in, um, I, I should point out, by the way, and, and again, like I said before about my ego being too big to fit through the door at the start of the podcast, <laughs> but your ego is now going to be too big because um, in the sort of build up to this, I was listening to the podcast. Your audio quality is scary good. And I know that's such oh, a niche you. thing to say, <laughs> but as someone that's done the podcast game before, th this is, oh, this is premium cuts is what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and to revert to my podcast and to the, the, the podcast of old that sort of is the, the foundation of this book, it is the Premimento podcast, which is why I said nice. the film Memento. Uh, the name alone is worthy of, of, of that. And I've been, over the last sort of 12 months, trying to go over the audio quality and improve it a lot because um, mm. more than more than a few of them were recorded in a drinking establishment. And, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the audio quality there is sometimes a bit echoey, sometimes a bit loud. Yeah. <laughs> but, Stuart, thank you so much for this interview. Honestly, it sounds like the type of book, I don't know the format, is it very big? Because I think it's the perfect read for when you go to the beach, just like you don't have summer football this summer, so mm, there are no yeah. tournaments. We're getting ready for the World Cup and everything, and you can just bask in the good old days. And if you were born in 1992 like me, hey, that's how, that's how our book, 30 years yeah. of Premier League, yeah. <laughs> the best thing about it is, is that it's, it's 45 chapters. And, you know, you can go in whenever you want. You don't have to go in yeah. the order I've written it. You can go wherever you want. There's an index at the front. You can see who you want to look at and go straight there. Nice. Any order you want, dip in and out. It's perfect. It is the football book for the football fan. Beautiful. Guys, it's got an index. Just go and buy it. Better than yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful well that's it yeah. thank you for joining us Stuart again give him a follow at SQ Studios right and make sure to go to pitch publishing pitch publishing right? pitch. Pitch. yeah it's pitchpublishing.co.uk and then search my name or if you go to SQ Studios on Twitter uh, it'll be the link there beautiful thanks again for joining us Stuart that has been great it's now time for us to go and preview the Premier League and Serie A action for this weekend <laughs> And send you off with our customary quote. I'm ready. Thank you again, Stuart. Cheers. And there we go. Premier League history. If you want to know your Premier League history, you now know where to go, guys. I honestly, Tommy, when you mentioned it'd be great to read on the beach, I was already like, yeah, in Puglia, I can see myself 
leafing through, flicking through that book, having a quick, a quick read. I'm really, really intrigued by some of the stories in it. Yeah, and uh, also that the whole thing of the Premier League backwards, like the seasons mm -hmm. backwards. I think it's a great idea. Um, definitely gonna get a book. Definitely gonna read it and uh, discover more about the history of the greatest league in the world. The Prime Heads will be like, yup, 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 and it's live. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. All right, it's time to talk about national leagues. This weekend, we've got plenty of action across Serie A and the Premier League. Relegations still to be decided. European spots already decided in one of the two leagues. Winner of the title, everything to be played for. Rory, let's start from the Prem. In the Premier League, which starts off on Saturday, no early kickoffs on Saturday. Have to double check that. Crazy. Only the three o'clock kickoffs were on UK time, people. We have two of the most inconsistent teams in red and white as Brentford hosts Southampton. Um, this will be a great football game. Both teams, not really much to play for. Maybe not the game I would watch. At the same time, we have the Battle of the Claret and Blues as Burnley take on Aston Villa. Burnley now 10 points from four games. Aston Villa finally ended their losing streak um, by beating Norwich because everybody beats Norwich. This could be a game, again, Burnley need to get these points. They've put themselves in a pretty good situation, but they're still not out of it yet. They're in 16th position on 34 points. They're two points ahead of Everton who have played a game in hand. So Burnley desperately, desperately need to continue getting these wins. Elsewhere, we have Chelsea taking on Wolves. Two teams that have actually massively dropped off since Christmas. Um, Wolves had an incredible start to the season, which still sees them in eighth place, but they've now only won one of their last five. Chelsea, on the other hand, have only won two of their last five. They've gone from looking very comfortable in third place to not secure at all in third place. So Chelsea and Tuchel will be very keen to get back in form. Then at the same time, we have Crystal Palace taking on Watford. Roy Hodgson has announced again, like Tom Brady, he's announced that he's going to retire again. And he what? takes on... Roy, Roy Dodson and Tom Brady in the same conversation. <laughs> Mate, I'm a visionary. I'm a, 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 the first to do it. I'm the first to do it. He's going to be taking on his old team and the team he supports, Crystal Palace. Again, Crystal Palace, you never know what you're going to get. Watford, you're pretty sure with what you're going to get. I think if they lose this, they are automatically They are like officially relegated, but... Listeners, hate to break it to you. They are pretty much relegated. Um, the late kickoff on Saturday is a tricky one as we have the Seagulls hosting Man United. Now, Brighton were in terrible form. They've started to turn it around a little bit. Three wins in their last five. Man United, Europe, well, Champions League out of their grip. They did manage to get a win um, against Brentford. I think this could be a tricky one for Man United. Another team that you don't really know what you're going to get, though. You never really know. And then the late, late, late kickoff. Well, that is a late kickoff for a Saturday. We have, this isn't the first time I've looked at the fixtures, listeners, I promise. Um, we have Liverpool taking on Tottenham. Please, please, Klopp. Please, please just get the win. Just get the win, and then Arsenal can deal with Leeds. And if we fuck it up, that's fine, but you have to beat Tottenham. You just have to. I think this is a game that is going to... It's the hardest game that Liverpool have coming up. It's the trickiest game. 
We've seen Tottenham do well against teams like Man City that play a high line, that play intense football. I think this could be a bananas game, but I'm going to back Liverpool to get the three points. Then on Sunday, we have Norwich taking on West Ham at two o'clock. At the same time, we have Leicester taking on Everton. At the same time, we have Arsenal taking on Leeds in a game that we must, 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 must win. And then the late kickoff on Sunday, we have the blood money derby as Man City take on Newcastle, which could be an interesting game. Again, Man City will be looking to... I feel sorry for Newcastle. They now have to take on a wounded beast in Man City. Um, This could be... It could be ugly. All right. We've got a very, very early kickoff in Serie A. It all kicks off today, ladies and gentlemen. 6.45 Central European time. Inter Milan take on Empoli. One of those games where they cannot slip. The penultimate home game of the season. The last one will be on the last match day against the Sampdoria. Inter are still trailing by two points behind AC Milan. There are rumors of Correa starting in this game once again. Uh, Inzaghi shuffling the cards towards the end of the season. But look, I, I am confident that this game will go our way. Empoli have been quite inconsistent recently. They've only won one game across their last five. It was against Napoli. However, away from, uh, sorry, at their own home, the the rest against Fiorentina, Udinese and Torino, they were all losses and there was only one draw against Spezia. Inter Milan, on the other hand, despite that uh, Bologna draw, uh, that Bologna loss, that fatal Bologna loss, they've been in pretty good form maybe conceded one too many goals almost in every of the last five games, but it should be a pretty comfortable game for Inter, pushed by their Tifo. The other team playing on Friday night, tonight at 9pm, it's Juventus, Genoa, Juventus, Genoa in terrible form. Their win against Cagliari didn't matter much. Um, It feels like they are doomed for relegation at this point. There was an article coming out this week where the the general manager of uh, Genoa said that the wrong decision this season was to hire Shevchenko, while I wouldn't go all the way there. Like, I mean, the season has been shit all along. Shevchenko aside, why are Inter and Juventus playing on a Friday? Because on a Wednesday, they square up against each other at the Olimpico in Rome for the Coppa Italia final. Oh, it's going to be terrible. (laughs) But yes, I have a feeling it's going to be a shit game. But hopefully, hopefully Inter managed to keep Juventus title-less in this season. We will see. Of course, we're going to preview this game during our live stream on Monday night. On Saturday, we've got three games. One at 3 p.m. It's Torino-Napoli. Now that Napoli are almost sure they can't win the title. <laughs> they are going to probably just blast the 12 goals past Torino. Then we've got the Sassuolo Udinese at 6 p.m. and Lazio Sampdoria at 8.45 p.m. On Sunday, it all kicks off at lunchtime with the Spezia taking on Atalanta at 12.30. And then we've got Venezia Bologna. Venezia still looking for crucial points, but at this point, they feel doomed. It feels like they're doomed as well. And a big, big game at 6 p.m., Salernitana-Cagliari. 
if Salernitana managed to win this, it's going to be one of the greatest escapes at the end of a Serie A season. Crotone pulled it off, I want to say, four years ago. There mm-hmm. is even a documentary on YouTube that you can find. Nice. They needed they needed a minimum, I'm making numbers up, but they needed a minimum of 13 points to be saved, and they scored all 13 points. Oh. So this could be one for the history books. But the very exciting game is at 8.45 on Sunday night, Verona AC Milan. Now, Verona AC Milan, number one, Verona, we've said it over and over again, this team are on the beach. They have nothing to fight for, except they're only seven points away from a European spot in the Conference League. Lazio are currently in that spot, but the last match day of the season is going to be Verona-Lazio. So I don't know if I'm the only one who's looked at this, but I feel like Igor Tudor probably has as well. <laughs> I would and, like to think so. Yeah, yeah I like to yeah. think so. And it feels like one of those sneaky little things that you can pull off at the end of the season. Everything, Everybody thought you were on the beach and all of a sudden you are setting your eyes on a European spot. AC Milan, only out of 15 times that they were first in the league, three games from the end of the season... So 15 times this has happened, that they were first with three matches to play. They've won the Scudetto 13 out of those 15 times. The only two exceptions in 1973 and in 1990. And what happened? They lost a crucial game away at Verona. Oh, narrative. Fucking (laughs) narrative. Let's go. Fatal Verona, they call it. (laughs) The AC Milan fan. Fans... uh, Caprari just goes on to release an interview in which he says that AC Milan deserved to win the league. Just keep your eyes on your goals, buddy. You play for Verona. Oh, that's great. He's like putting the pressure on. He's putting the pressure on. I like it. Look, and I was talking to an AC Milan fan, a friend of mine yesterday, and it was just like, you know that I was honestly, I kind of shut my pants when Inter Milan didn't win the game in Bologna because I was like, now we're first. All the pressure is on us. We've got a pretty (laughs) young team. I don't know if we can see it through all the way until the end. Guys, this is football. The only answer will be at the final whistle on Sunday night at 8.45. After that, AC Milan still have two big games, one against Atalanta and one against Sassuolo. We will see what will come out of those games. The last kickoff of the weekend is not on the weekend. It will be during our live stream on Monday night. Fiorentina take on Roma at 8.45 on Monday night. Ladies and gentlemen, It's everything from me. I'm going to leave you to Rory, who's going to send you off with our customary end of the episode quote. All I have to say is Forza Inter. Thank you for listening. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram at AngloItalianPod, Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, LinkedIn, YouTube. We are bloody everywhere. Twitch, you name it, we've got it. Guys, we'll talk to you again on Monday night for our live stream at 9 p.m. Central European time. And there is only one man that we can quote at the end of this episode. And this was from The Athletic and an interview with Adam Crafton whilst in his time as manager at Everton. Don Carlo said, this pandemic is, I promise you, going to end. Everyone is tired. You, me, all of us. We are tired of living this way. But when this thing ends, those little things we once considered ordinary will feel extraordinary. You go to a restaurant with two friends that's going to feel like a huge party or imagine celebrating a goal in a stadium full of supporters. Imagine that. Carlo, we made it.